With less than two weeks until Election Day, spending from groups both inside and outside West Virginia is growing. This is Viewpoint from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Welcome to Viewpoint. I'm your host, Ashton Mara. A study from the Brennan Center for Justice says outside money played a major role in deciding West Virginia's next Supreme Court justice in May, what dark money means in West Virginia politics this election cycle. And we continue our look at statewide races with a dive into the hotly contested attorney general's race and an interview with Democratic candidate for auditor Mary Ann Clater. Those stories coming up on Viewpoint. Voters in 27 states will cast their ballots for state Supreme Court justices when they head to the polls in November. In West Virginia, voters made their choice for the high court in May, something new for the state this election cycle. But a study from the Brennan Center for Justice says there is something else that was noteworthy about what happened in that primary. As Ann Lee reports, researchers are looking to West Virginia to prove that outside money really can sway a race. Over the past few years, state lawmakers have made some major changes to how judicial officers are elected in West Virginia. This year, for the first time, judges were elected on a nonpartisan basis and all of the ballots were cast in May during the primary. By changing the election process, lawmakers hoped to take the politics out of judicial elections. But a recent study on election spending shows the opposite occurred. We've seen really high levels of spending by outside group. Um, much of that coming from um, secret money sources, so, so groups that don't disclose their donors. That's Alicia Bannon, the senior counsel in the democracy program at the Brennan Center. In West Virginia, almost $3 million was spent by out-of-state groups to influence the state Supreme Court race this past spring. About a third of that money went to negative television advertising like this one. Insider Daryl McGraw used your tax dollars as a piggy bank for his office. Invest that outside spending was ruled legal in a 2010 U.S. Supreme Court case called Citizens United versus the Federal Elections Commission. In the case, justices ruled that political spending is a form of free speech and the government cannot bar nonprofits, unions or corporations from spending money that either supports or criticizes a candidate. As a result, political nonprofits and super PACs, or political action committees, are still limited in the amount of money they can donate directly to a candidate. But they can spend as much as they want on independent advertising during elections. Allison Bass is an assistant professor of journalism at West Virginia University and a former reporter for the Boston Globe. See, this is what they do. They are limited in what they can give to candidates, but they can spend an unlimited amount on television commercials. And this is where they make a big impact. 
Some of these groups, Bass says, are also not required to disclose the sources of their donations, keeping the public essentially in the dark when it comes to knowing who is paying for an advertisement. It's known as dark money. The Brennan Center says most of the dark money and outsider spending that came into West Virginia during the spring Supreme Court race came from conservative interest groups. In the end, Republican Beth Walker won the race. Here's Bannon again. We saw about $3 million of spending by outside groups, much of it coming from the Republican State Leadership Committee, which is a national group that spends money you know, in, around the country in all different kinds of elections, including judicial races. And you know, there was, I think, more than $2 million from the Republican State Leadership Committee alone in West Virginia's race. May's Supreme Court race wasn't the first time that outside money has influenced West Virginia elections. During the 2014 midterms, Republican candidates in the state received more funding from outside sources than the Democrats did. And ultimately, voters chose to end more than 80 years of Democratic reign in the House and Senate, causing some Democratic leaders to accuse Republicans of buying the pivotal election. Bass points to newly elected Republican Congressman Alex Mooney as an example. He was considered a carpetbagger because he had just moved to West Virginia from Maryland, but he was getting a lot of money from out of state, and he won. Money talked. When it comes to judicial races, Bannon points to several studies, including one from the American Constitution Society, that show outside spending does impact the decisions judges are making on the bench, especially in criminal courts. In the end, we need to be able to trust that our judges are going to make decisions based on their understanding of the law and the facts in front of them and not worrying about where they're going to get money for their next election, not worrying about what the next attack ad is going to be like. And I think what we've been seeing as these these races are becoming more politicized is that the public, I think, reasonably can ask questions about are judges going to be sufficiently insulated from the rough and tumble of politics to do their job as judges. Though West Virginia has already moved on from the judicial elections, West Virginians can look forward to more negative advertising from other statewide races this fall. As of September, more than $8 million have already been spent on the gubernatorial race alone, a total that represents the spending of both the candidates and outside interest groups on both sides of the aisle. But in the end, it's the voters who head to the polls on November 8th who will determine whose dollars had more influence. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Ann Lee. You can read more about Dark Money's impact on specific 2016 state campaigns and past races at wvpublic.org. To another statewide race now where dark money is certainly making an impact. If you've turned on a local commercial television or radio station in the past few weeks, then you probably already know that the race for attorney general is pretty heated. Republican incumbent Patrick Morrissey is up for re-election this year after considering and ultimately passing on a bid for governor. Morrissey is taking on Democratic delegate Doug Reynolds, a Huntington attorney who also owns media and construction companies. Both have been on the attack in a race that some polls show is too close to call less than two weeks from Election Day. On any given night of the week, voters in West Virginia who turn on their televisions may have come across an advertisement like this one. 
Drug companies reach deep into their pockets for Morrissey, while West Virginians overdose in record numbers. Or like this. As Attorney General, Reynolds will push the job-killing Clinton agenda. In less than two weeks, voters will cast their 2016 general election ballots. And both Doug Reynolds and Patrick Morrissey are battling it out on the airwaves for your vote. Morrissey, a Republican, won the office by a narrow margin in 2012, defeating 20-year incumbent Democrat Daryl McGraw. Since, he's taken strong stances on national issues, including leading the charge in a federal court case against the Obama administration over the clean power plan. The CPP would force coal-fired power plants to reduce their carbon emissions, something Morrissey says will result in the continued loss of coal jobs in West Virginia. West Virginia has bled jobs uh, in part due to these regulations that are coming out of Washington. If we can reverse that, even 30 or 40 percent, that means that people will benefit. The case is easily the highest profile of any the office is currently undertaking and will likely be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court before it's all said and done. Morrissey argues he's the only candidate who can continue to lead that effort. He and his Democratic opponent, Doug Reynolds, debated each other on the state capitol steps earlier this month. In a Charleston Gazette-Mail video of the meeting, Morrissey points to Reynolds' 2007 campaign contribution to Hillary Clinton as proof that the Democrat will not fight regulations on coal. we know Doug Reynolds is an apologist for Hillary Clinton and he will not protect coal jobs. I, 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 Governor... Does anyone really believe that Governor Tomlin, Speaker Armstead, and Senate President Cole wouldn't try to fight for the against the EPA and fight for our coal miners? All three of those gentlemen. Was I ever asked to do it by them? No. Reynolds says the state's legal battle over the clean power plan is about fighting government overreach in the midst of dysfunction in Washington. And just because Congress can't do their job, it doesn't give the executive branch of government the authority to go out and, and, and do all these things. And I think it's an overreach at the executive branch. Reynolds adds that if he is elected attorney general, West Virginia will remain a leader in the case under his watch. As for his 2007 Clinton donation, the West Virginia native argued in that Capitol Steps debate. I have not donated to Hillary Clinton since Mr. Morrissey has been a practicing lawyer in the state of West Virginia, so let's go back to Morrissey moved to West Virginia's Eastern Panhandle shortly before filing to run for attorney general and soon after a failed congressional bid in New Jersey. At the time, he was working as an independent attorney and a lobbyist in Washington. Some of his clients were pharmaceutical companies, including Cardinal Health, a drug company that shipped more than 241 million prescription pain pills into West Virginia over five years. Former Attorney General Daryl McGraw sued Cardinal in 2012, saying the company was fueling the state's substance abuse epidemic. After reports linked Morrissey to the company in 2013, he chose to step aside from the case. But Reynolds says it's just one example of where his Republican opponent is dropping the ball when it comes to fighting prescription drug companies. There's no one person that could do more to fight the substance abuse problem in the attorney general's office. You know, he's the only person to go to court and say, hey, you're doing something wrong. There's way too many pain medications that are being distributed down here. And you know, haul them into court and make them pay money if they've damaged these communities. Morrissey says his office is prosecuting pharmaceutical companies. I think people need to look at the record when we've been able to bring in uh, 38 
million dollars from drug and drug-related companies. A request with the Attorney General's office to verify the settlement amounts and the number of pharmaceutical cases that had been settled under the Morrissey administration was not returned in time for this story. The current AG also pointed to a partnership with the U.S. Attorney of the Northern District of West Virginia that has resulted in four drug arrests and a student education program as other ways he's fighting the substance abuse epidemic. When it comes to dollars, campaign finance reports from the West Virginia Secretary of State's office show Reynolds has spent nearly $1.5 million in the race, a large portion of which is his own money. Morrissey's campaign has spent about 325000 of the $1 million they've raised, but has been boosted by the outside spending of the Republican Attorney General's Association Political Action Committee called Mountaineers Are Always Free PAC. The group has spent more than $2.5 million in the race, largely on ads attacking Reynolds. Morrissey has criticized Reynolds for his personal wealth, saying the candidate hasn't worked to build his businesses, but inherited them. We need someone with that work ethic, with that experience, and who's going to be a fighter. And I don't think you become a fighter when everything is handed to you in your life. But Reynolds defends his million-dollar investment in the race, especially in the wake of the outside spending. They have spent three times or more of what I've spent. At some point, you have to get your message out. And in, in my opinion is that these super PACs are trying to drown out the message. The Mountain and Libertarian parties are also fielding candidates in the attorney general's race. Michael Charlie with the Mountain Party is a graduate of West Virginia University's College of Law and is a criminal and civil rights attorney in the Morgantown area. Libertarian Carl Kolenick also went to law school at WVU and practices in Buchanan. The race for auditor coming up after a short break. This is Viewpoint from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. A few weeks ago on this podcast, you heard an interview with J.B. McCuskey, the Republican candidate for auditor. McCuskey is a member of the House of Delegates and an attorney who wants to increase transparency in the office. On the opposite side of the aisle is Marianne Clater, a 20-year veteran of the West Virginia Auditor's Office, who says that, that experience makes her the right choice for the job. Clater worked with local and county governments to audit their books while working for the state, making sure everything was in line for them to receive necessary federal funds. If elected, Clater would become the first African-American to hold statewide office in West Virginia. But the race for auditor is getting far less attention than others. If we were to put it more in a layman's term, you would think of the auditor's office as an accounting firm. So when you're thinking about the person that's going to oversee accounting functions, say, so the auditor's office is the uh, agency that uh, issues the checks is where the auditing part comes in. And we do the state payroll. We have a county collection section that uh, collects the um, delinquent land um, taxes for individuals. So... My experience being that I'm the only candidate who has an accounting degree and been a real auditor, I feel we're at a time where we need we need that make sure that our auditor is going to take on be a true administrator of an accounting firm and not just someone that has a political science degree. 
And then in my training, I've learned to interpret code, not to the extent that a lawyer, you know, of course, but that is what an auditor does. That's how you're trying. That is what you're trying to do. You have certain uh, levels of law classes that you have to take, you know, in order to to get your degree. And so uh, after 20 years, I think I'm pretty good at interpreting code. Let's talk a little bit more about a specific program that you as the auditor will inevitably have to work with, and that's the West Virginia OASIS system. We're getting to kind of down into the weeds, but essentially it's the computer operating system that the state has put into place, spent hundreds of millions of dollars on, and then we found out as it was being implemented there were some problems. So do you think that this system, as somebody who worked on the inside, do you think this system was a good investment for the state of West Virginia? Well, I think it's always good that we will go into the future. It's beneficial to have an ERP system because then all the components can speak together. You know, I was always, as a real auditor, I I, I always liked the system when the different modules could speak together. So the concept, I think, was wonderful. They could foresee that the budget crunch that we were going to be in, I don't know if it's something that really should have been done at that time, but since we've already done it, you know, we've spent that money, we need to make sure that the product that we have purchased works to the um, our best interest and the best interest of the citizens, which is, I mean, I make recommendations because I've audited ERP systems, you know, and uh, I always told them if there was a deficiency, I said, you go back to the vendor and uh, make them responsible for the product that, that they were sold. And that's the same thing I would do as auditor. Your Republican (laughs) opponent in this race thinks that the auditor's office has an issue with transparency. How do you feel about that? I have championed that for years as an auditor because I am a user of accounting information and doing an audit. I have to pull information off the system. And I always said, now, if I'm on the inside of here trying to pull information that is difficult, you can only imagine, I at least know somewhat where to look. You can imagine what the citizens go through. And it's still, uh, I would like to know why a check is written. And I believe that the citizens have a right. I always gave a litmus test to the people that I audited. And I said, if you purchase something and you don't feel comfortable letting the public know about this purchase, then don't make it. So we at the state of West Virginia, you know, state government level, we have to hold, uh, be held to a certain standard as well. And I don't believe anybody should make a purchase that they're not willing to let the public know. And as the next state auditor, I will let them know. <laughs> Do you have any ideas about how to make that easier for the public, how to make it easier for them to see what it is that state government is purchasing? What I'm want. What I lean more towards, uh, I understand my my opponent has looked at um, the Ohio checkbook, um, and in my review of it, and even the uh, the people who did the review said, just because you are number one in transparency doesn't mean that you are the best. I mean, you're the best that's there now. And they also had a deficiency in being able to know why a check was written. Because in the OASIS system, you can see, you know, the amount, who the check is written to, you know, and things like that. The public can go out there um, on the website and see that. So I want to develop something more in-house so that we have the capability of making the changes that we need. Um, with the website. So I want to make it more user-friendly because we have things out there now, but I don't think the users really know where to look to, you know, and to make the searches uh, easier, you know, just kind of get it a little more organized. 
So when you talk about some of these ideas, you know, making it easier for the public to see how the state is spending its money, um, looking back through the WVOASIS contract to make sure that we're getting what it is that we paid for, all of these things take time and they take resources. And it's no secret to anybody that these offices, all of them, the auditor, the treasurer, the agriculture commissioner, all of them have had to take budget cuts in the past several years. Is it possible that we're getting to a point in the auditor's office where we're sacrificing service for budget cuts, for dollars? Well, I believe if we have the wrong person in there that doesn't understand all the functions of the office, that we could get into that. So I am about saving services. So I would more I would cut fat at the top more than I would at the bottom because we tend to want to lay off the lower paid people that are actually doing work and we always want to save the administrators. Whereas if you have a real auditor that will be able to address some of the concerns that maybe an administrator would do, that that at least helps when you because I just believe that our elected officials ought to be able to roll up their sleeves and do some work too. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of take it off autopilot, and we are in a budget crisis, so everybody's going to have to work, you know, from the top to the bottom. One issue in this race is actually that the race isn't getting that much attention. You know, you look at the attorney general's race or the governor's race or the presidential race, and that's where everybody's looking. That's where all the money is being spent. How do you as a candidate go out into the field, go out to the public, and convince them to care about your race? Well, I've done a really good job of getting people energized if they can meet me <laughs> because uh, I, they say I'm different, I guess. You know, they're not. I think when they think of a bean counter, they think of a very boring person. And But I have a very energized base, uh, grassroots, both Democrats and Republicans, I, honestly, because even um, when I meet meet those people that aren't just strictly party lines on the other side, they understand. They're like, yeah, that needs a skill set. And you you care about people. And I, I want to support you. I mean, so that's basically, uh, of course, I don't know a lot of rich people, you know, but that's what happens when you're a worker. <laughs> so uh, I, but I believe that politics should be about out getting out and reaching the people and not about trying to see how much money you can raise to plaster your name everywhere. I am for the people, and I'm for returning the voice of the people back to the people and taking them away from the politicians. I am the only candidate that actually has experience auditing politicians, and, and I will be unbiased, and I will always do what is right. As a reminder, early voting began this week in West Virginia and runs through next Saturday, November 5th. Election Day is November 8th. This has been Viewpoint from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Next week is our final podcast before Election Day. We'll detail the race for Agriculture Commissioner between incumbent Democrat Walt Helmick and Republican State Senator Kent Leonhardt, who lost the race in 2012. Viewpoint is available on wvpublic.org or subscribe on iTunes. Follow the show at ViewpointWV on Twitter. I'm Ashton Mara. We'll see you back here next week.